you pray with me as we begin? Heavenly Father, through centuries and millennia, you've guided your disciples with the light of your truth and your righteousness. You've revealed yourself in your scriptures, and you've used your people to display godly righteousness in this world as a witness to the Lord Jesus. Reveal yourself once again in your word, we ask. Teach us the real meaning of righteousness and help us to understand how that is manifested in the way that we give to the poor. Let your word live in us and your light shine in us and through us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, what motivates you to give? Think about it for a moment. What motivates you to give? Why do you give? Why do you give? Do you give so that you can get your name on a building? Do you give so that you can get your name in the honor roll in somebody's annual charity report? Uh, maybe you give so that others will know how generous and righteous you are. But I hope that you don't. I hope that that's not where you're at. Hopefully you give to the needy because they have needs. You give out of obedience and you give out of love. And you give out of true righteousness that comes from a changed heart. We're looking at these things today as we continue in our study of the Sermon on the Mount that we call That Sermon. It's kind of notorious. It has some things it challenges us in. It encourages us in some areas, and it confronts us in other areas. And it takes us to the place where Jesus would like us to go as we follow him. You know, there's some things he says, hey, you need to do this. And other places where he says, no, don't do this. And he points those things out pretty clearly in the sermon. Well, we finished Matthew chapter 5, and we're at the beginning of Matthew chapter 6 today, so please open your Bible to Matthew chapter 6. We're going to be reading the first four verses. Jesus says, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do, in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that you, your giving may be in secret. And then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. I want to look at two things in this text this morning. We want to look at what Jesus says about real righteousness and then we want to look at the example he gives of how that plays out. Uh, he, he gives a few examples. One of them we're going to look at next week. But, but the immediate example he gives has to do with how we give to the needy. So we're looking at real righteousness and some gracious giving this morning. Jesus starts off this section, Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So, all of a sudden, I'm thinking, wait a minute, didn't Jesus say something different back in, in the chapter 5? It was a little bit different. Let me put that up. Let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So, so it, he says, show your righteousness, and then he says, don't show your righteousness, you know, which is it? Which way are we supposed to go here? 
Well, in the early part of this sermon, Jesus is saying that the light of Christ needs to shine through you in such a way that God is glorified. You remember that, right? You remember you're the salt of the earth, you're the light of the world, you're a light that we put up on some kind of a platform or up on some kind of a place where it lights the room, lights the house. You're that city on a hill. No, 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 that's Reagan. You're, you're the town on the hill that people can see. In fact, they can't help but see it because they can see it for miles and miles in the desert as they're approaching it. And, and in, in these examples, as Jesus was talking earlier, all the attention goes back to Jesus that these deeds may glorify your Father in heaven, right? But here in this passage, we're talking about something different in Matthew 6, 1. Um, we're not talking here about that same righteousness. We're talking about a false version of that righteousness, a fake righteousness. We're talking about a self-righteousness, doing something so that others will see how righteous you are. Righteousness that's putting on a show. It's kind of like putting on a, a righteousness Halloween costume. What people see is not necessarily what is underneath. It's only a mask of righteousness. I don't know if you know this, but the word hypocrite, it, it means to, to be covered or to cover the face with a mask. That's what the word hypocrite means. It's a word from acting. And, and it's only a mask of righteousness when we're looking to be seen in our righteousness, when we're looking to be seen in the things that we do for God. Uh, not in a way that draws attention to God, but in a way that draws attention to ourselves. When we focus on ourselves, it's not the real thing. But when you display real righteousness, it, it doesn't immediately draw attention to you. It draws the attention to Jesus. You're tracking with me, right? So it, it's kind of like this, if we change the emphasis a little bit. You know, Matthew 6, 1 says, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them, while Matthew 5, 16 says, you do your good deeds and the things that you do to glorify your Father in heaven. You know, the difference between real and fake righteousness is your motive and who gets the attention. Real righteousness shines forth Jesus, and God is glorified. False righteousness shines forth you, and you are glorified in front of others. Jesus is interested in your heart. Jesus is interested in your motivation. Jesus wants to see a changed heart in us and wants to see us live out our faith in a way that reflects Jesus in us. We're told to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, right? We're told those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, they will be filled. So God's righteousness is, is where we put our attention. It's where we put our focus. You know, as I look at this stuff, I, I just can't help it. It just pops into my head. This scripture, it's not Oprah. You know, the, the Oprah focus is about being a better you at the end result. But this scripture is not about being a better you as the end result. It's about being a better you for Jesus as the end result. We don't need the world's praise. 
We need to praise God. And we want others to praise God because of us. So what does this look like? What does it look like to live out our true righteousness? Practically speaking, Jesus gives us a real solid example here. Um, he also gives us the prayer one, but we're going to look at prayer and fasting next week. Right now, he focuses on the needy. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. In Jewish life, there were three key works of the righteous life. There was almsgiving, or giving to the poor. There was prayer, and there was fasting. These were the three key things, and many Jews saw almsgiving to the poor as the most important thing. But, you know, as we know this, uh, we know that we can do the right things for the wrong reason, and that seems to be part of what Jesus is addressing here. Jesus is warning us that, that giving alms with the intention of bringing praise to ourselves, it's draining the spiritual life out of it, the spiritual value. There is no reward. There is no blessing in that. Are we supposed to give? You betcha. Giving was a part of Jewish life, and Jesus intends for it to be a part of Christian life. You know, there was a, a place or a time during the worship at the temple where they actually sort of stopped the worship and they took up a special offering for the poor. And, and it's believed that there were men who were in that worship service who would, when they were putting their money in the basket, they would draw attention to themselves, kind of like, oh, look what I'm doing, or oh, look how much I'm giving before putting in the box. And Jesus says, you know, that's not the way we do it. Sure, you might get the admiration of other people, but that's all you get. That's your payment in full. This, this phrase, payment in full, that was on the bottom of every seat for goods that were bought or, or purchased in the marketplace. Um, if you went and you gave your taxes, the tax person, the, the collector gave you a receipt and it said, Taxes paid in full. This is a transactional word. You give something to get something. You know, um, our actions of giving in this way, they may be full of glory in the immediate, in the immediate surroundings, but they're empty of blessing from God. So instead, Jesus says to do this. He says, but when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Okay? So that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. You know, the rabbis would have agreed with Jesus all over about this. Uh, there was a rabbinical saying in those days that said, He who gives alms in secret is greater than Moses. Popular saying. In fact, there was a story about one rabbi who would walk along the road and he would reach his hands into his pockets and he would take money. And as he was walking, he would drop the money behind him and he wouldn't look back because he didn't want to see who picked up the money. Like he was really taking this to an extreme. He wanted to make sure he didn't know where the money was going when he was giving it. There was a, a special place in the temple. It was called the Chamber of the Silent. It's 
Sounds like something Dan Brown might have written. The Chamber of the Silent or a Harry Potter book. People who wanted to atone for their sin would go to the Chamber of the Silent and they would go in secret and they would put money in there in a collection box and, and nobody would see them. Nobody would see what they were giving or that they were even giving because it was hidden from the assembly. And people who were in need could go to that same room and they could receive special help if they were in trouble, if they were needy. Um, you know, even they were trying to preserve people's dignity. That's one thing. Um, even people, like for example, when it was time to have a wedding, people who didn't have a dowry to be given with the with the, the bride being given away or exchanged or, you know, that's, that's, it was a little transactional in those days. These days we say, no, 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 the, the bride is presented. The bride is not given. It's not a transaction. But in those days, a woman couldn't be married without a dowry. And so you could go to that place if you didn't have the dowry and you could get that, play, get that money, you could get that that means to buy whatever is needed, and, uh, and that marriage could take place. So this was a place that helped people. This was a place that allowed you to show your heart towards God and show your heart towards others, but show it to God, not show it to the assembly, not draw attention to yourself. You know, there were rules about giving in Judaism. We often think uh, that Jesus is coming up with all of his own, you know, all the fancy sayings that Jesus has, all, the, all the, the snappy things that he says in the Sermon on the Mount. We think, oh, Jesus is just, man, and he's just pulling that stuff out of the air. Well, that's not usually what's happening. There is an existing culture, and they have their own sayings, and they have their own practices, and Jesus is speaking into a very specific culture that has certain knowledge already, right? Um, my wife would call it a priori knowledge. Is that right? Prior, well, prior knowledge. Yeah, same stuff. Rabbis were just trying to help people understand the scriptures and understand God's intention. And, and Jesus builds on the things that they already know. And he corrects the things that kind of got lost in the translation. And he takes people back. This is what God intended when he wrote that. This is what God intended when he gave the law in this way. And uh, he puts it back in its proper perspective. And sometimes he says, there's a higher law. It's not that, you know, this is only going so far. We want you to go further. I want you to go much further because of that changed heart. The Jewish rules for giving were based on Deuteronomy 15, 7 through 11. Now, it's a, it's a longer passage, but let me just read you a couple of verses of it. Among other things, Deuteronomy says, give generously to them, meaning the poor, and do so without a grudging heart. Then because of the Lord your God, or because of this, your Lord your God will bless you in all your work and everything you put your hand to. There will always be poor people in the land. Therefore, I command you to be open-handed towards your fellow Israelites who are poor and needy in your land. And so there was this established law for giving. The Old Testament law, uh, they built in a lot of rules to care for the poor. You might remember the law of gleaning that's uh, so important in the story of Ruth 
and so many other places where you go in Scripture and there's provision that's made for the poor in their society. There were five rules that they made out of these laws of giving, and they kind of put them together. They call it the Jewish law of giving. Uh, I don't know if you watch NCIS on TV, but, but uh, there's Gibbs rules. It's a series of rules for following that, uh, that, you know, you always have to go by Gibbs rules. Well, this is kind of like Gibbs rules, only there's only five of them. This is the Jewish law of giving. The first law was that giving must not be refused. So if, if somebody came to you and they asked for help, you are immediately supposed to give it. You are not supposed to hold back in, in any way, shape, or form. Uh, you want to help them because there was the understanding that someday you too might need help, that you might be the one who asked, have to ask somebody to give. Uh, the second rule here is giving must benefit the receiver. There's no point giving something the person doesn't need, for example. Uh, but the main thrust of this was that you were supposed to give in a way that it really helps that person live a regular life. They didn't want to give in a way that keeps that person on the edge of poverty, you know, always reliant. And so... The, the giving was to be at a, a little bit higher level than that. And they were to do it in a way that, that removed the humili humiliation that sometimes comes in poverty. And uh, it was pretty important. The third rule they had was the highest kind of giving, it's secret. Now, it was about how you gave here. If a man was too proud to receive a gift, if he if he would just not accept help, then the giver was to go to him in a different way and sort of take into account his personality and what was going on. And um, I'm going to back up a moment. I'm, a, I'm moving ahead of myself here. <laughs> the giver must not know to whom the giving is going and the receiver must not know from whom he was receiving. That's where the left hand not knowing what the right hand was doing, that's where that comes from. You know, that's something physically impossible for us. Uh, but at the same time, we understand that what he's saying is talking about this, this idea of secrecy. Now, the next one is the one I was jumping ahead to. It must fit the character and the temperament of the person receiving the gift. So, for example, if a person was too proud to receive the gift, uh, he, if he was too embarrassed to receive the gift, you were to go to him and say, my son, perhaps you need a loan. And then when he receives the loan, you just forget to ask for the money back. It's, it's a gift, but it's kind of given in a backhanded manner to save the dignity of the person who was receiving it. And then the last part was, uh, the last rule was giving was a privilege and an obligation. All giving was considered giving to God. All giving. And so withholding our giving was considered withholding from God. Giving was a way of life. And Jesus intended it to be continued as the Christian way of life. Always being ready to give. Always being ready to help. Now, you can see how Jesus' instructions are, are going in the same direction as these five rules, right? The, that he's talking in a way that helps them understand. Sometimes he boils stuff down to just a couple of things. But, but giving is about kindness it's about not refusing somebody who really has need. It's about bringing dignity. It's about 
giving secretly and not looking for glory, but making giving to the poor a part of your life. In fact, so much a part of your life that, that when the need arises, you don't even have to think about it twice. You just give. Now, I always hear when we talk about giving in this way, all the arguments like, well, what if somebody is trying to scam you? Well, in our day, we think about that a lot, don't we? Happens a lot. William Barclay said, you know, it's better to help a score of fraudulent beggars than it is to risk turning away the one man who is in need. I've heard a lot of discussion over the years about who are the worthy poor, who deserves to be helped and who doesn't. You know, I think Jesus would say, give as freely as you can and let the Father sort it out. I know. It's a story I read about Henry Ford. Henry, there's a lot of stories about Henry Ford, but in this particular time, he was asked to give some money towards the building of a hospital, and the billionaire pledged to give $5,000 towards the project. The next day in the newspaper, the headline read, Henry Ford contributes $50,000 to the local hospital. Well, Ford was kind of tight-fisted, and he was irate, and he got on the phone to complain to the fundraiser that he had been misunderstood, and the fundraiser said, okay, we'll print a retraction in the newspaper. Next, uh, tomorrow, the newspaper will say, Henry Ford reduces his donation by $45,000. <laughs> well, realizing the really bad publicity that would come out of that, Ford agreed to give, to give the $50,000 contribution, but... He had one condition. Above the entrance of the hospital, he wanted to be engraved with what sounded biblical. I came among you, and you took me in. Now, the secret meaning that he was saying was that he felt like he got taken in by the fundraiser. <laughs> and so that was engraved. That was part of the thing, and it was above the door. We know it as a biblical saying. He was saying, I got took. <laughs> Well, we know that sometimes when we're giving, there is a possibility that we might get taken. We know that, right? But if we give from the heart, freely, as Jesus would have us give, Jesus says, your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you will reward you, your intention. He's looking at your heart. He's looking at your motivation. He's looking at your reason for giving. He's not looking at the other end of this. This is not a transaction. This is an act of worship to God. You know, living for Jesus, this is what this whole section of the, the, the Sermon on the Mount is all about. It's living for Jesus, and it's about it involves your heart, and it involves your mind, and it involves your thoughts, as well as your actions. You know, the Jews were inclined to go through the motions and follow the letter of the law, but Jesus is saying, go beyond that. I want to see your heart. I want to see what's going on on the inside. I want to know your motivation. Why are you doing it? I pray you're doing it out of a changed heart. You know, it's not that our actions aren't important, because they are. The actions actually often show what's going on on the inside, don't they? 
But it is possible to do the right things for the wrong reason. And Jesus is addressing that here. It's, it's possible to even do the right thing for very selfish reasons. So the challenge is, uh, how about we do things right for the right reasons? How about we let Jesus influence our heart? And especially when it comes to giving to the poor, how about we let him lead us in this way too? We let our righteousness shine in such a way that it draws attention to Jesus. And that includes our giving. I saw an interesting note yesterday that I thought was pretty cool. Um, it, it's along the line of, if it was a kind of a twist on the bracelets, what would Jesus do? You know those? You remember those? Such a craze for such a while. Only this one said, what would Jesus give? What would Jesus give? And our reminder is that Jesus gave everything for us. He died for us to save us from our own sin. He was raised on the third day as that promise of eternal life. And if we put our faith in Jesus, we too will be with Jesus forever. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we draw close to you right now and we ask you to forgive our pride and our own righteousness. Lord, please let our works and righteous acts bring glory to you and not to ourselves. Let our giving to those in need reflect that same attitude. Let us give out of love and see hearts brightened and lives changed. We pray in Jesus' holy name. Amen.